Howdy. This is Brittany and Catherine. Say hello, Catherine. Hello. Thank you for listening to Fiddle and Fight Podcast. We are coming at you with some weekly announcements. Yes. I feel like we're in school again. Do you remember the daily announcements or the morning announcements? And today's lunch is chili cheese corn dogs. (laughs) Oh, that sounds really good, actually. (laughs) If you like our podcast, y'all should rate, review on any streaming app that allows you to do that. I know Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Yes. And give us a five-star review. A five star. Five stars. And actually yeah. give us a review. Like, write it down. It Please. can be like, this is a really great podcast. Just write us a review. And what we'll do we, is... We'll read it on air. Yeah. And if you want to go the extra mile, we would love it if y'all shared our podcast with friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, enemies, the random people that walk in your neighborhood who speed walk really fast. Your pets. Your mailman. <laughs> I mean... I don't know if I want my mailman to. We actually hit 200 listens, I think not last week, but the week before. So that is rad. We are slowly growing. We are. Thanks to y'all. Mm-hmm. And we do have some international listeners from Germany, the Netherlands, the UK, Romania, New Zealand, Singapore, and Italy. So it's cool that y'all are finding us across the world. We are obviously US-based, and in the US, Georgia is leading by far. So... All you listeners in other states, get the word out. Fiddle and Pipe Podcast is the next thing. We're going to go big. You're making it seem like it's a race. (laughs) It is a race. We are the undiscovered gem of the internet. Exactly. Please follow us. Please share our podcast to your peers and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow as a podcast, so we really appreciate any of you who've been going around and kind of soliciting up some earwaves for us. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to follow us on Patreon, you can go follow us at patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe. Brittany and I just had a happy hour. We recorded that podcast. It's just, you know, a chill podcast where we had some fancy drinks and we just had a chill time. We just talked. I'm currently finishing editing it right now, and it is actually pretty funny. And I'm going to be putting up the bloopers from our ninth episode and our 11th episode once Mm -hmm. they release, which I guess our ninth episode is what we're recording for. So when y'all finish listening to this episode, you should (laughs) hop on our Patreon, join it. It's a $5 a month donation, and you will get access to the bloopers. And we actually have a friend on this episode, so we're funnier than normal. Which is hard to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. Yeah, it's true. You guys want to listen to it. It'll be really good. Maybe also make a drink for yourself and listen and join in on the happy hour. And if you want to support us, but you don't feel the need to get anything in return, we also do have listener support on Anchor. So that's anchor.fm slash fiddle and pipe. And they actually have three options. Okay, you can do 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 per month. And that's just, you know, going back to us and unfortunately on anchor we can't give you anything in return other than our genuine thanks thank you and we really appreciate anyone who is supporting us on those websites and we'll also give a shout out to anyone who supports us on either yes you will be acknowledged we know that you exist so thank you we'll acknowledge the hell out of you (laughs) 
Other than that, if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at Cat Flinch Flute on Instagram. And I'm at BM Ross Music. We also have a Facebook group. It's called the Fiddle and Pipe Forum. Mm-hmm. And we have actually gone back and made it a public group. So y'all can join. You can invite your friends to join. If you're listening to the podcast, let us know your thoughts and ideas. We're almost done with this book, The Inner Game of Music. Once we're done with that, we're going to be moving on to another book later on. So if you mm-hmm. want to read along with us and keep tabs on our episodes, then see what's going on in the Facebook group. I guess the next thing we got to do is actually play the episode. So I guess here's our episode. Yay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. This is our, oh, what is it now? Eighth episode of Fiddle and Pipe. I think it's nine. <laughs> Nine? Oh my gosh. Time flies. <laughs> I did the math last night, so it should be <laughs> nine. <laughs> we are joined today by our lovely, luscious friend, Matthew Richards. Why, hello. I did not know I was luscious, but thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for the description. <laughs> He's a dear friend of ours. You're actually the reason that Dave and I met, which is like super rad. He went to Kennesaw with us. I did, yes. I play the giant fiddle, so Brittany over here plays the <laughs> fiddle. No, it's actually great because I play the bass. <laughs> this book was written by a bass player, so that's one of the reasons I was like, ooh, this will be an interesting read. Have you read up to the chapters that we're covering today? I have. A lot of it I did skim read because I wanted to get caught up quickly. Like I was telling you guys earlier, I did highlight passages that I found particularly interesting or things that I thought were important so I can go back and refer to them if I really want to. I will say, Matt, we were really sad yeah. not to have you on. Last episode mm-hmm. with the teaching. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting because I'm coming at this from a, a classroom teacher perspective. You guys have talked a lot about, you know, you both do private lessons. For me, a lot of it applies to the classroom, but there are some things that are kind of different because you're dealing with sometimes... 30 different personality types at once. What are some of the biggest differences and the stuff that we've been saying versus what you would apply in a classroom setting? Well, in this chapter in particular, it talks about keeping the student engaged and keeping them, you know, enjoying their experience practicing. And that's a huge thing in the classroom because a lot of classroom music teaching is about numbers. The school is going to look at how many students you keep in your program throughout your time there. And that'll determine, you know, how much money you get, how much you get paid, how many instruments they'll provide, all that stuff. So you're really trying to retain those students. You're trying to make sure that they enjoy their experience so they keep coming back. So that's a big thing is retention and trying to just get them to say, hey, this is orchestra, it's fun. See, that's not something I would usually think about. Right. No. I'm all about like retaining students because without private students, I don't have any money. Yeah. But it's kind of like if they leave, I'm like, okay, bye. Well, like, also, (laughs) you want to keep them engaged so that they can stay in lessons and show them, like, Mm -hmm. violin is fun, flute is fun. I can understand that. I didn't know that was, like, a thing, though, at schools. The first thing the principal, especially if they don't have any music experience, the first thing that they'll say, 
they'll always come in. It's like, so what are your numbers looking like next year? Or, you know, how many students are you going to recruit in the fall? And I'm sitting there like, uh, I hope this many, but there's no guarantee. And there's no guarantee that they'll all stay. We always plan for, you know, if we get 60 students recruited in sixth grade, that goes down to maybe 48 in seventh grade and maybe like 36 in eighth grade because you're always going to lose some. Their students mm-hmm. are going to move. Students are going to lose interest. Students are going to change, you know, which program they want to be in. So we're always going to plan for losing a bunch as the years go on. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I saw it myself in my own middle school because I think when right. I was in middle school, like seventh grade, we had a lot of kids. I just remember that. It was a packed classroom and there were two seventh grade classes and it was like a combo. I think had been like 50 or more kids. And then when I got into eighth grade, they split. They built a new middle school. And so half my class, they just left for this other middle school. And so the band numbers dropped significantly I think in my class alone because there were two eighth grade classes my class had like the largest amount of people and I think it was under 20 people mm-hmm. and the other class had like eight yeah it's ridiculous that's insane it was bad and I think at the other school the where everyone else went I think the band program for the eighth grade was significantly low too so when we all combined again my freshman year we had a very small class I think a mix of the schools being split and then different interests and everything just kind of really took a toll. And I think that also just kind of messed with my motivation a lot because I had no motivation in eighth grade. I was like, I want to be on AIM. (laughs) (laughs) Especially um, nowadays when you have parents wanting their kids to do five, six different things after school. So oh, like round, round their yeah. resumes yeah. and make them look good at college. Exactly. You have to start thinking of that shit young too. Well, that's the thing. Like in yeah. sixth grade. You're right because I have students that have come to me and said, "It's like, hey, I want to be in orchestra next year, but I can't because I have to be in this technology course or I have to take X Y Z course in order to prepare for my college." I'm like, "You're in seventh grade. It's like you could, I, I don't know. You have time." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't remember, like, preparing for college or thinking about college when I was in 7th or 8th grade. Nope. I remember we had to take a test. Oh, God. We had to take a test, and it matched up our skills to potential career paths. You want to know what I got? What did you get? A garbage truck driver. (gasps) I think you told me. (laughs) I was pissed. But you know what? Actually, now, as an adult, sanitation workers make make more than I do. (laughs) They be making bank. And they have benefits. They have benefits. Look, like, look. So I'm sitting here right now, you know, with the weird post-COVID shit that we're living through. And I'm like, maybe I should be a sanitation Well, that's the thing. It's like in this 21st century world of entrepreneurship, you can turn anything you want into a career. You know? Mm -hmm. You really can. People be on Twitch, you know, streaming video games for nine hours a day. Some people be on Twitch just sitting in a hot tub for nine hours and they make money off that. Like, wait, I want to do that. What? (laughs) It's ridiculous how many like different categories on Twitch you can just find, and some of them you're like, I could do that. I could sit in a hot tub in a bikini, like easy. You look good in a bikini. Thank you. Yeah, you should do it. (laughs) (laughs) I watch it. Chips and salsa or something. Oh yeah. Watch Uh, some TV. (laughs) 
Just dribble food, a little bit on your chest. Food stream. <laughs> food and hot. We should do that. Food and hot tub stream. Yeah. Those <laughs> people would watch it. I think really what says volumes about us is after Matt suggested it, the two seconds of silence. It's like, <laughs> we're like, wait a minute. We're on to something. We're like, this we're is something, something new. Here. <laughs> we have hit that point in our lives where we are considering alternate options. I mean, hey. Side hustles is is the key word here. I mean, the thing is, we really are. Like, Catherine and I have a podcast now. Matt, you have your own podcast. We are trying to branch out. And I feel like this is kind of where our world was headed anyway, but COVID really exacerbated it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Accelerated it. Yeah. I know for sure that my goals and at least the things that I want to do with my career now are completely different than what I thought of pre-covid so oh, yeah i don't even think yeah. i went into college knowing what i wanted to get out of it i think it was just kind of like oh dad's like you gotta go to college so i'm like okay i gotta go to college and then i kind of figured it out as i went yes i am with you on that i had no idea what i was doing they said declare a major i'm like i guess i'll put music education because that seems like what i'm doing I did a BA and I just said, I like to play music. And one of my (laughs) friends was a minor. (laughs) She told me that Wind Ensemble did like three concerts a semester. And I was like, I want to do more than one concert a semester. Right, exactly. I just put music. I want to be in orchestra, whatever that entails. I just want to be in the orchestra. Yeah, I just wanted to play forever, and now I don't really play that much. All right, so I guess we should probably get back a little bit on track. So chapter 12, parent and coach. I like this a lot because I feel like it was easier to apply to the stuff that Catherine and I do, more like private teaching as opposed to working in a classroom setting. And I think this would be great for parents to read. Hmm? I'm, I'm not a parent, but if I was a parent, I would like to read this. Just a shout out to you parents out there. Yeah, please read this. (laughs) (laughs) The whole chapter is about how easy it is to inadvertently encourage or discourage kids and students and how to have a supportive relationship between your parent slash coach and your child slash pupil. I'm glad that you brought that up, though, because I did when I was reading this, I was reflecting on my own learning of the base as I was growing up. And I remember specifically in fourth grade, we had a icebreaker activity and we had to like pick our favorite music. And for me, I was the only one in the class that picked classical music because I'm a, a nerd. What a nerd. Exactly. <laughs> and, and everybody else was like rock and roll or hip hop or whatever. And one of the quotes that I highlighted from the book was like, you know, musical children who are taunted by their classmates for listening to the kind of music that's unfashionable or snobbish and that might make them shut down to you know wanting to actually you know work on that type of music in their lessons or in their classroom or whatever yeah Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense middle schoolers are mean to each other they really are like you Mm -hmm. you don't like listening to something that they like and they're like oh i would never listen to you know whatever it is and i feel like they keep that throughout you know all of their teenage years. 
yeah. I just remember getting into like really stupid fights. Girls are just so dramatic. Like we went, <laughs> we did a field trip to like Six Flags in seventh grade and we were going with this group of girls. I don't know, something happened with one of the girls in the group and we didn't want her in the group for some reason. And instead of just talking to her, we literally ganged up on her and kicked her out of our group. It was really oh. me. <laughs> And I'm looking back on that, and I'm just like, why was I such a bitch? Well, dudes are just like, they just won't talk to you. They don't care. It's less of a alliance scheming against a person and more just, yeah, we don't want you here. Bye. I just, from my experience with girls, we're just bitches. Yeah. Mean <laughs> Girls. Mean Girls was based on a true story. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's definitely dramatized, mm-hmm. but. Oh, God. There's this one. I'm just gonna say her name. Her name was Emma. Fucking mm, Emma. hated her. Emma. Emma, you bitch. I've known her <laughs> since like sixth grade, and she caused one of my friends' problems at the time in, in sixth grade. And I was just like, why? And I think she was just making fun of her. And I was like, and I think I went up to her and was like, you need to stop. <laughs> and she just Good became a bitch to me from then on. I think in seventh grade, we were on the same team, but we had every single class together except for electives. Thank God, because I was in band, I was somewhat quiet, but also a little quirky, and I started loving sloths at the time, so that was a thing. You know, you were setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> I was just turning into my weird old self, and this girl from seventh grade then on would make fun of me about playing the flute liking slots my appearance and i was just like what a bitch and i think i even little thing oh yeah i would confront her on aim i'm like you need to stop like what is your problem about the aim card (laughs) i did (laughs) well like that's when you knew it got serious yeah take this to aim yeah even in our last year of high school we were in anatomy class together and i loved this class it was great but she was in my table and i was like fuck Like, in my mind, I'm just like, I hate this girl. I've avoided her for three years. I think she's a moron. I'm sure everybody else thinks she's a moron. And this bitch is trying to cheat off my papers and stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, you're a musician, so you're smart. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, I literally was just like, you can look at your own paper. Don't look at mine. Like, do the work yourself. I just hated her. Sorry. One of the most memorable times that I cheated on a test was in second grade. I couldn't remember how to spell Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I wrote it on my hand. Oh my goodness. And I had my hand under the desk. Oh my I just remember the teacher walking by and I was like... Master of stealth right over here. I know how to spell Thanksgiving now though. Hey, that proves that cheating does not, it does not stop you from learning. It doesn't. <laughs> But no, it's, it's interesting that we went sort of down that rabbit hole of judging others for what they do and how they are. And oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. circles us back to the judgment portion of this book, which I uh, really liked here. Yeah. So Barry Green says that there are three ways to have a supportive relationship. Number one is acknowledging the growth and encouraging the students' trust in their musicianship. Number two is helping the student establish clear and appropriate goals and performance, experience, and learning, the good old Pell triangle that we have talked about previously. And three, expanding students' musical awareness in all the senses, sight, sound, touch, feeling, and understanding. 
And we're still lacking smell and taste, which I'm really annoyed at because I feel like they should be on there. <laughs> Tasting your violin. Tasting mm, your music. The sound mm. is delicious. I mean, I taste the metal of my flute. <laughs> I mean, if it makes... What's it taste like? <laughs> it's true. It's true. You do. I just feel it's like, like you just metal. put it up to your lips. You don't put it in your mouth. <laughs> I think you're playing flute wrong. <laughs> I don't think this is how you flute. I'm not. I'm not a pipist, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a flute player either. But I, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I think I have. Although Matt, have you ever thought about that rosin would probably taste really good? I think about that all the like time look, because I it have. It looks like it would taste really yes, good. I have students say to me all the time, "Like Mr. Richards, can I eat this?" And I'm like, <gasps> first of all, please don't because I only have so it many." It looks rosins. like candy. Yeah. It looks like some kind of like sweet mapley deliciousness. Yeah, it looks like a yeah. hard candy. Yeah. It looks like you can just suck it. Especially, mm. especially, especially base. <laughs> Base rosin especially. That's what she said. Uh, but no, base rosin especially is like nice <laughs> and dying. brown and it's delicious. And base rosin is also like melty too. Yeah. So you're like, mm, caramel. Oh, well, do you guys like know court grease? No. Yes. What? No. They look like chapstick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yes. That's exactly what it looks like, yeah. Have you ever tried to use it as chapstick? Well, when I was in fourth grade, I think that's when I saw court grease for the first time and I looked at it. Because, like, the girl next to me played clarinet, and I really wanted to play clarinet, so I was so angry, and I'm just sitting there staring at it, like, I want to play. And then I saw, like, the cork grease, and I was like, ooh, is that chapstick? <laughs> put chapstick on my clarinet. Rub- yeah. Why is she rubbing it all over the cork? <laughs> I just, I was kind of grossed out by it. I was like, ooh, I don't want to taste that. Like, no. Acknowledgement and trust. He talks about Dr. Rosenthal's the Pygmalion <laughs> effect. <laughs> yeah. The teacher's impressions and treatments of students affect how well I do. Mm-hmm. So if you take a student that's labeled gifted and you treat them like a normal student, they're probably not going to do as well mm-hmm. and vice versa. I found this entire study to be very interesting because I do find I'm that way is when uh, I function best with encouragement rather than, oh, you sound like, but... Mm-hmm. And I try to do that mm-hmm. in my teaching as well, because I, you know, I'll do individual playing tests, and I'll try to be like, okay, so this is what I like about what you just did, and uh, this is what you can improve. So instead of being like, ooh, is that really what you're playing for me? Is, is that what? It, mm-hmm. is that, do you think it's supposed to sound like? Like, yeah, negative and manipulative mm-hmm. statements can negatively affect how successful a student is. And I remember a few years ago, I used to write in notebooks, you know, what students need to improve on. And I put a lot of negative words like do not play out of tune, for an example, something like that. And I've tried really hard to not use negative words because it instills doubt into a student's mm-hmm. mind. So I try to rephrase things in a more positive or a neutral light. And I find that it's more successful. It is, yes. I've had so many students say, you know, oh, I can't play this song because I sound bad or whatever. And then when they actually play it, I'm like, but you just did it. So, like, I don't understand yeah. where that. So we're, I think we're trying to find out where that sort of self-doubt comes from and how we can stop it from stopping them. Mm-hmm. If that makes yeah. sense. 
And this is exactly what he says too, because he talks about leaning towards non-judgmental phrasing and how even well-meaning criticism can turn into a child, especially can like misconstrue it as like a desire to please others instead of actually enjoying what they're doing, which is, you know, at the heart of it, that's really what you want is you want them to like what they're doing. You can tell when people don't like or aren't invested in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really obvious in music as well, because like if somebody's playing something, and you can tell they're not really into it, there could be any number of reasons for that. Just as a listener, you can tell, okay, this person is Mm -hmm. not feeling it or they're having some issues with something. He talks about asking students how they did after they perform and how that works wonders. And I was so happy because I do this with my students. I'm always (laughs) like, okay, so how do you think they did? And I, I try to like pry them for information. If they're like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, you know, play it again and listen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been doing that too a lot more in my lessons as well. And I think it's definitely also switched the way I phrase things with my words and comments I guess because yeah I, I I feel like just like what you mentioned Brittany I used to be very critical like do not <laughs> don't and I think this chapter relates a lot to was it chapter 11 that was the teaching one or the chapter 10 because 11 oh yeah I think this relates a lot to chapter 11 about like rephrasing things mm-hmm. and asking kids like what they're aware of and what they noticed and how they felt I just see a lot more improvement and motivation happening when I've been asking that versus don't do this. I don't know about y'all, but I'm realizing that a lot of the meat and potatoes of this book was the first third of the book. Yes. And the rest of it is basically just taking the same concepts and applying it to different scenarios. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Which I'm kind of like, ugh, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's important. Yeah. It's just, I wish it was written out a little bit less like an instruction manual. Well, right. this was like written, what, 1982? It was 86. 86, 86, like. He's, he's talking yeah. about cassette players. I'm like, oh. Yes! Oh my God. I was like, I put all that in my notes. I put R.I.P. Yeah, exactly. I put, wow, portable cassette player to listen to music. Okay. Did y'all ever have one though? No. No. I always had what? CDs. I always had CDs. I had a Walkman. Oh, it took forever to get my parents to get me a CD, like a portable CD player. And so then I had this mm. cassette player that my parents had from the 80s. And I would listen to, like, my Hanson cassette and my Spice Girls cassette. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> On replay. <laughs> like, repeat. Cassette players have never played a huge role in my life. Yeah, me neither. I mean, we were born in... 93 mm-hmm. you were born in 92 so cds were already on the on the come up there yeah yeah i had cds but my parents were just cheap i'm pretty sure i got my portable cd player when i was 10 or 11 i remember being in middle school and listening to my walkman on the bus with my wired headphones like yeah i was i thought it was hot shit <laughs> i listened to the tarzan soundtrack on cassette every single day for a year because You'll of my brother be in my heart god uh, or the opening you be like i don't know the rest of it you actually. know the opening like the opening sequence when the main title shows you, up and all that it? uh that's the 90s for you oh it's phil it's just <laughs> phil collins like that's the thing like it's all just phil collins and i listen to the intro song all the time because of my brother he would pitch a fit 
being like, I must listen to Tarzan. And I'm like, <laughs> we've listened to this a hundred times now. Can we listen to something else? Going back to like self-evaluation. One thing I like to do in the classroom is have peer evaluation. So oh. I'll have a person play and then ask the class, okay, what did you guys think? What can they improve? What did they do well? What did they not do well? Hmm. Stuff like that. The tricky part is getting them to not be little shits about it. You suck. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that'll be all they say. And I'm like, well, okay, but you have to be constructive. Like, how can they not suck? Like, that kind of thing. But I yeah. find that helps out a lot because it sort of puts them in the teacher position for a second. It sort of makes mm -hmm. them think like I'm thinking, like looking for the things that I'm looking for. That's really interesting. I like that. I feel like I would probably, if I were playing, and I'll just be honest because this is me, I'd be scared. Oh, yeah, for scared, sure. Scared, terrified. But also, it does change their perspective, too, because mm -hmm. I can say the same thing over and over again, and they'll never, they'll never hear me say it. When their friend says it, it takes a completely different meaning. It means yeah. a lot more yeah. to have peer evaluation. Exactly. From Yeah. It's just like how parents who are musicians tend to have other people teach their kids rather than they teach the kids themselves. Mm -hmm. It's because your kid's not going to listen to you. Exactly. He also talks about Suzuki, which I don't want to talk about Suzuki because I hate it. Suzuki is Suzuki's <laughs> interesting because I've never actually used the Suzuki method to teach anybody and I didn't learn on Suzuki. So I'm just kind of like... He basically just uses it as an example to show that the teacher acknowledged new material that the student learned and how much it increased their enjoyment in making music. It was Which I, I, I mean, I could see that, but it <laughs> Suzuki emphasizes a lot of repetition and a lot of imitation. Yeah. I feel like it doesn't necessarily set them up to be successful musicians in the sense that they can figure things out on their own. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of flaws in it. Yeah. I've said on a previous episode, whenever I have a student who has learned primarily... <laughs> who has learned primarily Suzuki and then comes to me, they have no idea how to read music. Yeah, that is a big thing. It's like re-teaching them how to like, read. Determine rhythm. And, they, and usually they're older, so they get very frustrated. Right. And especially with students that like to play by ear. That's just so weird to me because, like, I don't encounter a lot of this. There are some flutists that do Suzuki. Well, it's a big violin thing. Yeah. It's, it's a big. huge violin thing. It is. Yeah. And I think it's because a lot of parents have the idea that their four- and five-year-olds can start playing violin. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, they mm -hmm. can, but they really should not because their hands are not very developed at that age. Mm -hmm. Like, your kid's going to play an instrument. Piano is the best one. Yeah. Like, violin, I feel like the youngest a, a kid should play violin is, like, ten. Yeah nine mm. eight nine ten it just takes like so much finger strength to play with a keyboard it's different because you just hit the key yeah mm -hmm. but violin requires like fine-tuned motor skills to control the bow to put your fingers on the strings be strong enough to push a string into the fingerboard yeah and especially yeah. with me I, I started bass when i was eight and you know you can imagine oh, wow. what a tiny little mat looked like playing bass probably adorable yeah, trying oh, to hold wow. the thing up looking like this thing is taller than me. It was the same size? It was the quarter size, which is not huge. Oh. But, it, I mean, it's, it was still taller than I was, so. Dang. Yeah. Fun fact, most bassists don't play a full-size instrument. Yeah. You will very rarely encounter a full-size bass because that thing is massive.
But yeah, play the bass. Make your students play the bass too. We want more bass players. We get to the need for clear goals. He talks about performance goals, experience goals. So with performance goals, it's just letting the student listen to the piece they're playing because it can help them understand what they hope to achieve. And this is when he talks about a portable cassette player. (laughs) R.I.P. The way that he presents it is really funny. I I don't want to open my book, but he goes like, there's this new invention I know, right? called the portable cassette uh, player. Uh, and, just like, <laughs> and we're sitting here like, uh, yeah. Can, I can find on my phone. internet at my fingertips on my smartphone. <laughs> and then yeah. he suggested these it's... other things, which I don't think any teacher would do nowadays, like taking their students to concerts and recitals. Like, I feel like you can't really, well, actually, as a private teacher, take your students that, places. That is a good thing to do. So two things. Um, it's a good thing to do as a classroom, which is something yes. I try mm-hmm. to do a lot now that we're not shut down anymore. Hopefully we can do that again. But the other thing was my private teacher actually did take our entire base section on a, a little excursion like that when we were in high school. Um, so, I mean, hmm. maybe it can't be a one-on-one thing because, you know, legal reasons or whatever. But he strategically made it so we're taking the entire base section and we're going to go see a base player. So it was relevant to all of us. My thoughts were oh. that it couldn't be a, a one-on-one thing due to, like, legality and me too. Right. But I feel like also due to liability, like, you can't really take students anywhere. Right. And we then you'd have to arrange them to drive themselves. And I feel like it'd just be a whole Oh well, yeah, we we were in high school and we carpooled. We were able to fit in one car, so it wasn't too big a deal. Yeah. You have to think about, you know, logistics like that. Mm-hmm. I wish there were more opportunities for classes to go and see things because when I was in high school we were just marching band obsessed it's totally fine and it makes sense because when you're in band and you're in the moment it's like fun you know I was just so focused on marching band the entire summer and then when the beginning of the school year starts my teacher would be like okay so a SYO is doing auditions and Maywe is doing auditions and I'm just sitting there and I'm like what are these and he never would ex- band. <laughs> he would never explain them really. I feel like only two or three kids ever did ASYO in my school. There were two violinists that did it, and then this oboe player that was in a marching band. And it was just kind of like mm-hmm. I wish this was advertised more. I wish that we would be able to go see these kids in action rather than going to like an honor band clinic that I might get into. UGA does Jan Fest and Mid Fest. I don't know if that's a available for string players but for band it was a thing mm-hmm. oh uga does have a string a summer string camp but they should Matt and yeah. i actually yeah. met at yeah. before chemist that's and we so didn't cool know that we met each other yeah and then i was yeah. like oh yeah, yeah we, we did and then we're like wait you're vaguely familiar <laughs> yeah i know that they have camps but in the middle of the year they do a clinic where yeah when i you're remember in- those because my sister did them my sister plays flute so yeah. uh, she did those every year and mom would chaperone them and stuff like that. It is so competitive if they have like this X amount of flutes and considering how many schools <laughs> are in Georgia. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember one year my band teacher signed up late and I wasn't able to go and I was pissed. I was like, really? Like, come on. And but it just kind of sucked because that clinic and maybe one other were the only things that we did outside and it was only voluntary. I just wish we had more opportunities to go to concerts rather than, okay, we're going to go play at the Capitol and then go to the varsity. Well, see, oh. that's interesting because, <laughs> <laughs> because I went to so much grease. Fulton County Schools where hyper competitive, they were like, 
we have this many students doing honor orchestra. We have this many students doing all state. We have, they were all about it. It was all about the competitiveness. So we, we were like pushed to do those things. And, you know, same thing with trips. We had opportunities to play on a cruise. We had opportunities to play at Symphony Hall, you know. We, wow. My favorite trip every year was the Atlanta Symphony concert that we would take as a class. So, you know, we had all these things. We, we were very fortunate in uh, Fulton County. That's better than what I got offered. <laughs> same. I thought I had a same. really good. Yeah, that's part of what fascinated me about coming to study music at Kennesaw is like, I had already seen a lot of what competitive you know, music school looked like, what a lot of the students who were going to end up majoring in music, you know, how they practice, how they perform, that kind of thing. I was very fortunate. I know, obviously, every place is not like that. And yeah. you, kinda have to, <laughs> you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> we chat a little bit about experience goals. He talks about a stupid Suzuki teacher friend again. Wait, no, Craig Timmerman. I mean, again, using the Suzuki method is not always the ideal way, but it does... I'm just angry. (laughs) I do like this guy's approach, especially from a classroom perspective. Like, sometimes you don't care how they sound. You're just like, I just want y'all to be playing. I just want y'all to, like, experience what it's like to play as a group together. And whether it sounds good or not, I don't care. Just, just, Mm -hmm. Just play something. Yeah, and that leads us into this whole section about just giving a student more flexibility in lessons to have fun, to make music, trying improv, let students play with settings on keyboards. I teach two elementary school students piano, and they mess up my settings on the piano all the time, and I literally don't care. They'll be like, oh, what's this setting do? Oh, what's this setting do? And I'm like, okay, just you can play like an organ. Oh, you can play it like a xylophone. <laughs> you can do whatever. It's fine. Because it keeps them engaged, and they have fun, and... Yeah. Yeah, you do kind of, especially for that age group, you do have to make lessons more of like a game instead of a like, you need to practice right now sort of thing. But I think having some of that freedom, even with older students, is important. Otherwise, it just gets too rigid. I mean, even eighth graders, Mm -hmm. eighth graders like to, you know, just mess around and like see what they can figure out on their own. So I'm like, all right, Mm -hmm. today, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to give you guys this book. You guys are going to find a song you like and try to learn it by the end of class or something like that and Hmm. see how they do with that. That's kind of fun. Yeah. My favorite thing with this section of the chapter is he says to let students play with recordings and he specifically says vinyls and cassette tapes. That's what I said. I was like, Ah. vinyls? Let me get out my record player real quick. And he mentions <laughs> variable cassette players, which the concept sounds really cool. So I've never heard of these before. So you put the cassette in the machine and it tunes the cassette to your instrument's tuning instead of you having the tune to the cassette. That would be really useful. Oh, I, I thought that was kind of cool. I'm sure there's a setting you could do online somewhere that you could do that nowadays with. No, I'm going to get a variable cassette player. <laughs> <laughs> And then he also says, oh, and computers have come a long way, too. And I just, yes. I lost that. Yes, they have. <laughs> computers. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> this bug. Yeah. Oh, God. Was this pre-dial-up days? Probably. Yeah, the 80, because dial-up wasn't until, oh, yeah. like, the mid-90s, wasn't it? Early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not remember? Oh, I remember it. I remember it. I was so pissed because I wanted to go on DisneyChannel.com and play a Kim Possible game. And it took forever. I'm your basic so. average girl because I'm here to save the world. 
slowly turning into a singing podcast. He has a exercise, which is basically just applying the concepts to music. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do it. I think that chapter that we did a million exercise kind of made me over the exercises. <laughs> There's a lot of exercises in this book. I'm like, how is one to do every single one? I'm like, I just wanted to sit and read. Yeah, so he, he has you do them like three, four or five times each. And I'm like, okay, I did it twice. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Basically, if you just understand the concepts that we've been talking about, you should be good to go. The rest of the chapter talks about how to motivate students to practice. And the takeaway from that is there's the best practice comes from themselves. And I'm like, okay, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> how playing with others and playing for others can increase enthusiasm and learning. Yes, this goes mm-hmm. back to what we were saying about peer evaluation. Let their friends tell them how they're sounding or another thing i like to do is i like to take students of similar performing levels and group them together i'm like all right y'all can go to the practice room and y'all working on something different something that's more challenging and i'm going to stay here and work with these students who are still having trouble figuring out what an f sharp is (laughs) it's me yeah even me to this day but i think that it helps to play with students who are on the same level as them so that they're not Mm -hmm. feeling held back yeah in the classroom by other students who are, you know, maybe struggling. I remember getting this when I was a kid with solo and ensemble. It wasn't really advertised when I was in high school. I don't know if it was for y'all, but when I was in middle school, and it was only my seventh grade year. It wasn't my eighth, and maybe it's because there is like a drop of kids. I don't know. Anyway, because when I got into seventh grade, I already been playing since fourth grade, and I was so bored, and I think my mom even complained that I was in beginning band, but because of school... They were like, no, she has to be in beginning band because of the class <laughs> mm-hmm. rotation. Kind of mm. crappy. But I was just so bored the entire time. And I would play like in practice rooms or locker rooms when I was in class. But they put me in mm-hmm. solo and ensemble. And they also put me in the eighth grade band every now and then. I felt special because I'd be like, oh, yeah, like yeah. I have a pass. And I'm going to go to eighth grade band today to right. play with them for festival. <laughs> It's like a form of validation almost. Like, yeah, I'm playing with, yeah. the, good, yeah, with the good students. Like, look at me. Oh. It was very motivating. And mm-hmm. when I did solo and ensemble, I remember when I look back at it, I was playing music that was just hard. And oh, it yeah. was fun. I felt great. And then when eighth grade happened, it was just kind of like, bloop. <laughs> Everything is gone. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so sad. Even to this day, playing with small groups, I feel like is a form of motivation for me because oh, yeah. oh, I love if it. I'm the only bass player, it's like, well, if I don't play the bass part, there's going to be no bass part. So I'm important. I think we can apply a lot of this to what we're facing currently with most of us having not played with people for a while. I don't know about y'all, but that's where like a lot of my motivation mm-hmm. comes from. I mean, like, like I said earlier in this episode, I, you know, starting in seventh grade, my pipe dream was to just be paid for playing. Don't you mean your fiddle dream? <laughs> my fiddle. <laughs> he talks about learning goals, but only in the sense of like just using your own awareness and experience. So I don't know. Some parts of this chapter were a little weird because they're just like, eh, and here's a mention and moving on to the next topic. And I'm like, okay, thanks. There is something that I'd highlighted that I want to point at is doing something familiar when mm-hmm. it comes to music. Oh, because yeah. this is specifically a strings thing. And I don't know how good this analogy is, but I use it all the time. With students, a huge issue is keeping their bow straight. 
they mm-hmm. have a tendency to go all over the place when they're bowing. So I like to pretend, or I like to tell them, imagine that your bow is a car. Imagine that you're driving in a car, because especially with eighth grade, a lot of them have at least started, try to drive at mm-hmm. least. But I tell them like, when you're driving, you gotta stay in one lane. You can change lanes. So like, if you wanna move towards the bridge with your bow, you can move towards the bridge, but you gotta be intentional about it. You can't just be wavering and going back and forth because then you'll crash into people. So I say, imagine your bow is like that car and you can stay in one lane. If you wanna go to the bridge, if you want like a bigger sound or something, then do that intentionally, but don't just let your bow slide. Yeah. Because then you're hitting other cars. So I do like that method of something familiar, like something that they can see in their everyday life that helps them imagine it. Yeah. I have a student that does gymnastics year-round and competitively and Mm -hmm. and i talk about this a lot now with my with sound production a lot of our notes is at least in the lower and middle range are the same fingering for flute but it just requires a different support of air that we Mm -hmm. need to like bring out so faster colder air for that's what i tell my students for the higher note warmer slower air for the lower note and so in the middle range the area on top of the staff a little above the staff is a very unstable range for students especially when they're first learning the notes because again you're working with the same fingering a lot of students try to like blow really hard and stuff to get this higher note out but usually it squawks to a pitch that's just not identifiable <laughs> like, me when i sing oh, for real. <laughs> <laughs> like ah! exactly I told my, one of my students when she was like learning some of these notes, I was like, imagine you're on the balance beam. Do you, are you on the beam a lot? And she's like, eh, sometimes. I'm like, okay, but pretend that you are and you're on the balance beam and all you're trying to do is your goal is to go straight across. Mm-hmm. So if you are playing this note and you're not playing it high enough, you're teetering this way a little bit. So what can you do to get back into balance? But if you're going, if you're overshooting the note, you're and going the other way. That's smart. <laughs> Watching that. Right now. Um, he's following my direction. Matt's tipping his head in the then direction that Catherine is moving. Blow a little. <laughs> See if you can blow a little less forceful to go back into balance again. And for some reason that worked. And so I I give that analogy to my students, but I'm not. I mean, some of them have done gymnastics before. Other times I'm saying, pretend you're hiking and you're on a log yeah. and you're trying to walk on the log. <laughs> it's like our coordinated movements now. This is how, how I walk on logs all the time. Yeah. I have a wall on this side. I can't extend my arm. I guess I'm going to fall. Whoa. It's like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah. And I usually do it on this other side when I'm teaching my in-person lessons because I distance myself. But I usually hit the wall and I'm like, ow, never mind. <laughs> but it seems really similar to what you said, Matt, about the yeah. line or driving. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. I was kind of the same way forever. My bow was just always diagonal downwards. For some reason. It's because of the way that your arm is shaped oh, yeah. and how your arm naturally wants to move. Right. And also I did German bow, which is a different setup entirely, which kind of, in my opinion, it kind of promotes lazy bow holds, but that's a different argument. One day it just clicked. I was in a lesson with Doug Summer, rest in peace. Literally, he just kept harping on my bow. And then one day it was just right. And I don't know if it's something he said or if it's something that switched in my mind. Sometimes it just it just clicks, and you don't really know what causes it to 
flip that switch in their mm -hmm. brain. But we try all these different techniques to see if we can get that switch in their brain to just flip one day. Right. Mm -hmm. That brings us to chapter 13, Integration and Balance. I don't know about y'all, but I thought this chapter was definitely dated. Very. It said during the yes. past 20 years. <laughs> I'm like past 50 years, more like it. So for those of y'all who are not reading the book but are listening to us, this chapter essentially talks about your left brain and your right brain, the differences between the two of them and how to think in one way if you think, yeah, like if you're primarily a right brain person, how to think like a left brain person, how to apply that to practice. Medical science has advanced very far in the last almost 40 years. And we now Quite know that people mm -hmm. do not operate like this. Yes. Yeah. People are not strictly left-brained or right-brained. That's just not the way it works. Well, okay. I'll say I got four A's, 12 B's, and six C's from the little questionnaire. Oh, I didn't write it down on here. Anyway, go on. <laughs> I found myself picking B a lot. Mm -hmm. I saw, or I wanted to pick A in a lot of scenarios, but I found myself as more of a B person. Yeah. I could go back and forth with most of these answers, to be There honest. was a test yeah. where he asked questions, and your A option was, like, the logical answer, and your B option was, like, the mm -hmm. emotional feeling answer, and C was neutral. A big surprise to everyone, I got mostly analytical logic brain over here. <laughs> I think it's more personality-based, though, and not left brain or right brain-based. I am a very logical person, but I'm also a very moody person, so my mood influences my logic a lot of the time so i'll start with the analytical approach but then i'll let my emotion sort of change my method or whatever i think that means you're mostly right-brained quote unquote sure i'll take that what did you get Catherine? <laughs> i got 11 a's so it said i'm more analytical but I mean, I got seven Bs, too, which is fairly close mm -hmm. to the A's, and then four Cs. Mm -hmm. I don't know, though, because when I was going over the questions, too, I was sitting there, and I'm like, there's sometimes where I do things differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not... It depends it, it's on the never scenario. a one-way thing. Yeah. I hate taking tests like that, because I'm like, I don't really do either of these. Yeah. If I have a day where I have plenty of time to practice I'm probably a little bit more analytical mm -hmm. I'm more structured and stuff and I have goals and stuff but if I'm having a day where I know I need to practice but I'm just not in the mood for structure mm -hmm. I'll just kind of go with it it just depends it really does <laughs> that was my biggest thing with this whole chapter it's just too dated we have advanced too much like I, I'm a nerdy person I'm a logical person I think brain stuff is really cool but we have just realized that humans are a lot more complex than being singularly left-brained or right-brained yeah mm -hmm. i do want to bring up the uh, rachmaninoff exercise because even though it's another exercise where he's like play it six times Catherine and i are i still found out. it <laughs> <laughs> we're both like oh. <laughs> if you yeah, refer no, to no. page page 204 it looks like 200 I don't know if it's what Okay, I guess Kindle is different. Than, uh, 185. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine has 240. Look at pages, Matt so, uh, using, oh, wow. using his new but computer. Computers have I really know, advanced so far. I'm recording this from my new computer, yes. I did do this exercise, and I do this a lot when I'm playing. He says, break it down and play like you're a robot. 
really like subdivide, really try to take all the emotion out of it and just try to be precise. Right. And I do that a lot by habit. Whenever I'm playing anything, like I was using the piano and I was like conducting to myself. Like one E and a two. Especially a, sight and reading. A, like that. <laughs> yeah, especially on this because I'm not comfortable on piano, so I was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but two E and a. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the second time I played it, I did try to do like, because there's a lot of crescendos and decrescendos and swells. And mm-hmm. It says softly, expressively. So I tried to focus more on that. It really does force me to sort of improve my reading ability. It sort of forces me to improve my musicianship in a way. And it helped me get more notes correct than I otherwise would have, because I'm just focusing on, oh, I want it to sound nice. So I don't know. I find this, this helps with students a lot, is that sometimes you just say, play it like you think it should sound that sometimes forces them into accidentally playing correctly or accidentally improving their sound or something Mm -hmm. like that Hmm. yeah i guess i do think that there's some merit to what you were saying and to count robotically and then kind of in layers add phrasing dynamics stuff Mm -hmm. like that to it Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's how a lot of us approach music at this point i feel like i don't know about y'all but that's kind of how i've been taught to approach music Mm -hmm. and then when you get to a certain point you sort of instead of learning that step at a time you learn them all at the same time especially yeah as adults we've been reading music for more than 20 years essentially Mm -hmm. oh my god we're old exactly (laughs) (laughs) back back in the day when i started playing the bass you know um but no we can literally just like we can basically skip that reading step, even with rhythm. Sometimes we can just kind of get a rhythm just by like, okay, Eyeballing that's this it, rhythm. Yeah. yeah, I've heard this rhythm before. I know what it sounds like. And yeah. Lexi put new pop music in front of me, and then I'm like, what is rhythm? That's when I have to take is out it? the metronome, <laughs> mark the beats. <laughs> yeah, bad, oh. ar- bad arrangements of like Stevie Wonder stuff. I'm always just like, things uh, like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're like, why would you arrange it this way? You, you're terrible. <laughs> All the ties look harsh. Yeah. yeah. Just write a half note. Oh. Like, come on. Come on <laughs> it's like, I get that he's yeah. saying different words, but half note is fine. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be as precise as he's saying it. That brings us to the end of this section. What are y'all's thoughts about these two chapters? I like chapter 12 more. I kind of wish that I knew about this book or my parents knew about this book when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could have read something about it and gotten like an idea because I mean I love my parents to death they've done so much for me with my music career and everything like that I don't resent them for not really knowing what they got themselves into when I started playing flute because they are not musicians Mm -hmm. not really anybody in my family that are living except maybe like one other person Mm -hmm. is so they didn't really know what to really do we never really went to concerts when I was a kid I kind of see it in my own students I've seen parents that don't care and it's sad and it breaks my heart because I know the kid really likes playing and then they lose interest because the parent puts them in too many activities because I think earlier he says like if you want to help your kids give them like you know a good instrument that might be not something expensive but just something that's you know sustainable or a music stand or something. And I'll just say this one example. I had a previous student, great kid, learned very well, very attentive. The parent was not helpful whatsoever. And I've been over backwards to help this student out and talk to the parent. 
this student had a flute that was $18 from Amazon. High quality. <laughs> it was blue, you know, and I was like, we'll work with it. We'll go with it. I like the color blue. Let's just go with it. The kid did well. And then finally the, the instrument broke. And I told the parent, well, I'll be very honest with you. If you want to get this checked out of a music store, you can, but they might not work on it because it's so cheap. And I've only encountered this because I've had previous students that had instruments like this. I even had my piccolo, my first piccolo ever was like this. Music, some music stores will not fix very cheap instruments because they're that cheap. Hmm. <laughs> I suggested to the parent, like I recommended music and arts because I have friends that work at music and arts. They are woodwinds. They know what they're doing. I recommended so many things. They wouldn't go to music and arts and rent an instrument, even though it was like 15 minutes away from the school that they went to. And then I got a flute from somebody that used to go to a lot of concerts at DU, and they gave me a flute to sell, and it was a beginner flute. So I offered to the student, would you like to buy this flute? I gave them a way cheaper price than it originally was because I knew that money is tight. It was during COVID. Totally get it. So I offered them the flute, and I was like, you can make this in payments if you would like to split it for this month in the invoice, and then the next month. It's fine. They only spent two weeks on that flute, and then it broke. Then they just bought another $18 flute, and it broke the next week after that, too. So You end up paying And the parent money. didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I explained to the parent, too, the situation, and I understand the financial issues. I've been there myself. That was my entire life growing up with flute and music and all that. I definitely get it, but I think it really lost interest of the student. They weren't practicing. They never had a music stand. They literally on my Zoom meetings with them, they would have the music on their lap and play looking at their knees. Ugh. And I would suggest like, hey, do you have like a book? How about this? I will listen to you and you can lay your music on top of the laptop. I would hear noise in the background all the time, like people talking very loud, just constant noise. Mm -hmm. So it was very hard to hear. It just kind of broke my heart because... Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought up that story because the school I teach at, the area, at least like 75, 85% of the kids are that. They're mm -hmm. in financial troubles. Their parents don't really understand instruments, where to buy them or how to buy them. There's a lot of stuff going on at home that might be impeding mm -hmm. them. For me, it's like, you almost have to kind of present it as Amazon is not an option. I'm like, do not buy an instrument from Amazon. I don't care if you find one for five bucks. I don't care how cheap it is. Do not come to my classroom with a $5 instrument. You kind of have to get the idea out of their mm -hmm. head from the start. And especially working mm -hmm. with this many parents that are all in a similar situation and they don't really understand the world of music and the world of instruments and that kind of thing. You kind of have to pull them in one by one and just say, okay, let me explain to you how this is going to work. Let me explain to you the pitfalls you can fall into if you do this, this, or this. And let me explain why it's important that they have an instrument that's going to last them for you know, more than two weeks. Yeah, exactly. I had a, exactly. I had a student when I lived at home with my parents who her parents obviously had money, but the 
mom just didn't want to be involved at all. She didn't even want to bring her kid to lesson. She would ride the school bus to my parents' house. That's insane. And be dropped off at my parents' house 20 minutes before the lesson was supposed to start. And I'm like, I guess we're starting now. She needed a full-size instrument. Her parents only gave her a quarter size. They were always behind on payments. They were always late to lessons. The mom never wanted to upgrade the instrument, never wanted to get her shoulder rest. I let her use my violin, which is a huge liability. Eventually, I terminated lessons with them because they had just last minute canceled on me probably three or four times in a row. And I was just like, I just can't do this anymore. I might be a little bit soft right now because David's sister actually just had a kid like two days ago. So I'm now an aunt. Welcome to the world. Congratulations. Thank you. I did nothing. (laughs) 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 I, I can't imagine having a kid and not supporting what they do. My parents are not musicians. My parents didn't get to do what they wanted to do growing up, but they made damn sure that I had an instrument, that I had lessons, that I got to Mm -hmm. where I needed to go, that I would be supported and be put in outside of school activities. Like, they went above and beyond to do that for me, and I can't imagine half-assing anything for a child. My mom had to, like, coax out of me, what do you want? Because I wouldn't tell them, like, what do I want? What do I need? So my mom had to, like, coax it out of me, like, come on, like, do you want a bass? (laughs) <laughs> do you need a new bow? Like, what What do you need? Like, tell me so I can help you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I'm a parent, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure my kid has the tools that they can, you know, feel successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if they change their mind later on, so what? I mean, you know, we all change our minds. What I'm trying to do now is this is brand new and I did it. I did it with somebody else as well. And I think this is what I want to do from now on is have a Zoom meeting with the student and the parent. That's smart. Even when I did trial lessons, I would usually have the parent there. Mm-hmm. We would do the lesson, and then I would spend a spiel after that talking about what, how lessons would be, showing them my contract, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I feel like now I would rather just have a meeting where I can show them my website, show them Dropbox. Because even for in-person students, I have Dropbox for them because I want them to record stuff for me. That way I can listen before our lesson and figure out what we can work on. So it's like an orientation. Yeah, and kind of tell the parents, like, listen, this is important. If your kid really wants to do lessons, it also is the responsibility of the parent to make sure that they're staying on Mm -hmm. track with things. And, I mean, they need to practice. You can't just assume that they're going to practice. And, unfortunately, I had that happen with another student earlier this year, a student that I taught at a school that I used to be at, transferred over to my private studio, which was awesome. I was excited. This kid was great. But this kid is in fifth grade, Mm -hmm. and this parent just expected them to schedule the lessons themselves. What? That's weird. This parent expected them, like, to just – be an adult, really, because I've noticed some things like the student was late a few times. We also were doing 7 a.m. in the morning lessons. Hmm. Yeah, I know. It was super fun. <laughs> I woke up on Black Friday at 6 a.m. for a 7 a.m. lesson that never happened Aww. because the parent did not look at the dates when I asked them to in their invoice. And I even asked them about Black Friday and they just paid and never contacted me. Because I thought it was the kid's responsibility. It was very aggravating. They expected the kid to know everything. And I was just like, this kid is 10. And they're doing 
two sports on top of that. Mm -hmm. And I just noticed things with the student as we progressed in lessons. They would show up late. They wouldn't show up at all. They would have just woken up. They weren't prepared. The laptop would have no battery. And I'm like, it's... It's always something. Literally, just finally, I sat down, sent this email to the mom. I was like, if you would like to talk on the phone, I would love to have a conversation with you. They didn't want to have a conversation. They just sent me a message back. They're like, we expect them to figure out their problems by themselves and learn. And I get it. Like you want to teach your kids how to be independent, but they also need some guidance. I mean, they're especially. Yeah. Yes. Especially at that age. Yeah. When I was a kid, when I was around that age, I was a little shit. I'm just going to say that from get go. I didn't know what I was doing. And I would not practice. And my mom would be like, you are practicing today. Mm -hmm. I am paying for these lessons. I even threw my flute down the stairs. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I just threw it down the stairs, and it's still here in my little chest (laughs) over there. Oh, no, it's broke. I can't practice. (laughs) I know. I'd be like, oh, it didn't break. It stayed alive. I was like, oh, it didn't bend. No bends, no nothing. I was like, oh. But I also have carpet stairs, so that's probably also. When I was a kid, I did not have those capabilities. I don't think any 10-year-old does unless they have some obscene childhood trauma where they had to be an adult in their life. Like, that's not a normal kid thing. Yeah. It just made me really sad because I knew this kid really liked flute. When I would ask them, like, what would you like to play today? What would you like to start our lesson off with today? They'd just say, I don't care. Hmm. That's when I just started feeling like, okay, like, I tried my best. I don't even think that kid knew that it was our last lesson. I knew because the mom told me I tried to stay positive and motivating and, you know, I wish that there was a a little bit more support for some students out there. Oh, yeah. I just wish. As a teacher, there's only so much you can do at the end of the day. Yeah. Because if the parents aren't willing to at least meet you part of the way there, then it's like, well, I can tell them, practice this. I can tell them, you know, you need this. But, you know... The kids don't have their own money. They don't have, the, you know, they don't make their own schedules most of the They're time. They're kind of at the mercy yeah. of their parents. Yeah. I couldn't have gone anywhere when I was 10 because I had to be driven. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have gone to my mm-hmm. lessons if I hadn't been dragged along by my parents. Like, mm-hmm. I'd have been like, nah, I'm not going. I don't feel like it. Oh, same. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, thank you all for coming on this episode. Thank you. It's fun because I was literally listening to this and I was talking to myself as if y'all were in the room. So this is like Aww. a dream come true. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to us. Where can we listen to your podcast if Uh, anybody is interested? I have my own podcast. It has nothing to do with music, unless that's what we want to talk about that week. But it's called Mm Conversations. That's three capital M's. Mm. It's featuring me, Matt, Megan, and Timothy Marshall. So that's where we get the three M's. We talk Ah. about all sorts of things on there, from politics to religions to just general pop culture stuff. And we have a good time. We're on Spotify. If you type in mm, conversations, it should be easy enough to find. I love your name. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now. Mm. Mm. I listened to his podcast, and it is rad. I really liked your last episode on the COVID vaccines. Yes, we talked about the COVID vaccine and debunked a lot of the conspiracy theories about it. Our goal is to sort of promote healthy discussion and try not to demonize people who might have otherwise harmful opinions or beliefs about things. We just systematically went down and said, this is why this is ridiculous. This is why I shouldn't buy into these 
conspiracies. I like I it. I'm going to listen. Trump fiasco, not demonizing people who have a alternative viewpoint is a good approach. And I think that's the only way we're mm-hmm. going to come. Yeah, we started because of something that Donald Trump did to, did to appease the sort of black voter base. And we were like, no, we will not stand for this. But yeah, check us out. It's a lot of fun. And maybe you guys can join us for a show one That'd day. That'd be if rad. You have any expertise yeah. on any of our topics i'll let you guys know i'm gonna I listen love it. that'd be a lot of fun i think we're on what episode 10 or 11 and we're recording one tomorrow so exciting nice awesome. well, y'all should definitely check that out and thank you all for listening and you will hear from us next week i think next week is our last chapter of the inner game of music and yeah there's there's the two more, 14 and 15. Yeah, we're going to have Matt on that episode too, so it should be a real good time. So hopefully you guys like my voice because you'll be hearing more of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, oh. we will catch up with everyone next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Have a lovely evening. Bye.